We want to look at uh, some things concerning the church, and uh, uh, there's much said about the church in a negative way today. And I understand the cynicism of a lot of people when it comes to the church, because you have seen enough guys on the news that uh, have bilked people out of their last dollar, and it's all done in the name of religion. Well, that kind of thing takes its toll, and they're well, right now, maybe those of you who do Facebook are aware of what I'm talking about. There's a video that's kind of gone viral right now, and it's the, the title of it is Why I Hate Religion, But I Love Jesus. I understand what the guy is trying to say, but what he says is really he's created a false dichotomy. You don't have to love one and hate the other. They're not the antithesis of each other. Um, in fact, religion shouldn't be hated. Religion is from God. The Bible tells us in James 1 and verse 27, pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father is this, to feed the, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Religion isn't a bad thing. We have come to see it in terms of a bad thing. People say, well, what we need is a relationship with Jesus. We don't need religion today, and, and that amounts to we don't need the church, but that's not the intent of God, and I want us to look at the importance of the church, and I want you to see the church from a divine perspective, not from maybe what men have said about it, but what God has said about it, and um, see that much thought has been given to the church. Now, if you want to begin, you can go back to... Um, well, Ephesians chapter 3, if you want to open your Bible and look there. In Ephesians chapter 3, there's a statement made in verses 10 through 11 that the church was the eternal purpose of God. There was never a time as though God didn't have the church in mind. Before he ever created man, as we've said before, before there was ever sin, there was a Savior. Before there was ever a hell, there was a heaven. And before man ever turned his back on God, God had already made provision for him. The church is the eternal purpose of God. God knew before he created us that we would fall, that we would fail, and thus he planned this scheme of redemption, which includes the church. I think it's impressive to consider the fact that while many people speak poorly about the church today, that... Jesus, or the Apostle Paul, says that the church was the manifold wisdom of God. It is a display of God's wisdom. That's impressive. Because of all the things that God could choose to use to display his wisdom, to, to put on a billboard for the world to see, or the principalities and powers in heavenly places to be able to see, God chose of all things the church. That was an expression of his wisdom. That's the thing that he wanted to demonstrate his wisdom to those who were in those positions of authority in the heavenly realm. And so before I very quickly dismiss the church and, and relegate it to something that is non-essential, I, I better understand what God had in mind for it because there just seems to be a whole lot more to it than something that we might just kind of rag on and, and talk poorly about. The Bible tells us 
that the church, well, and this is the two points that I want to bring tonight to you. We can see the church in prophecy, and we can see the church in purpose in Scripture. And I'd like to look at each one of those with you for just a little bit. In Daniel chapter 2, let's begin with the church in prophecy. In Daniel chapter 2, in verse 44, the Bible, well, Daniel is living in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and it's a strange dream. He doesn't understand it. He tries to get other men to interpret the dream for him. Nobody can do it. And Daniel not only interprets his dream, but tells him what his dream is. And Nebuchadnezzar says, that's right. That's exactly what I dreamed. You remember the the, the statue, the, the man that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. And, and then there was a rock hewn out of the mountain without hands. And it comes down it hits that statue. And the statue crumbles. And he can't figure it out. It's bothered him. He can't sleep. He's trying to figure out, what does this, what does this dream mean? And so Daniel says, well, here's what the Lord has revealed to me. And this is the meaning of the dream. And he began to describe each layer of that that statue, each portion of the statue, the different metals of which it consisted. And he said, these are the kingdoms that will yet come. You, King Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. And then after you will rise another kingdom, and after that another kingdom, and after that another kingdom. And then he gets on down in the latter part of the chapter and he says, and in the days of these kingdoms, that last empire that he describes for us, in the days of these kingdom, kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And it won't be left for other people, but it will break in pieces and consume all kingdoms and it shall stand forever. That was a prophecy concerning the coming of the church, the coming of a kingdom that God would build. That prophecy was made 750-some years before the beginning of the church. Yet God, through Daniel the prophet, had this plan in place, and it's beginning to be revealed. Um, how did Daniel know, or how would we... He, well, he wouldn't know other than the fact that God revealed it to us, but there's pretty good evidence that we can look to the days of those last kings and bank on it that it's going to happen because he knew of the rise and fall of the other kingdoms. He knew of the, the, uh, the, the Medo-Persian empire that would arise. He spoke of it. He knew of the Grecian kingdom that would arise, and he spoke of it. And then he knew of the Roman kingdom. It's in that time of Rome when they were in power, he said, this kingdom is going to be established. Well, enter into the New Testament enter into the life of Jesus, the gospel accounts. They are living in the days of those Roman kings that that Daniel the prophet had spoken of 700 years before. Remember, God said it'll happen. So what do those Bible writers have to say about the kingdom of God in that first century? Well, we can turn to Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and we see John the Baptist saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, it was coming. A long time ago, Daniel said, folks, it's coming. It's coming in the days of the Roman kings. And now John the Baptist, living in the days of the Roman kings, says, Daniel knew what he was talking about. It is at hand. It's going to be here any minute. It's right here. When you come to Matthew chapter 16, you remember Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Then he goes on in the next verse and says, And I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom. 
See, keys enable people to gain entrance and access. They're able to open the door. And so as Jesus was talking to the apostles at that time, he said, I'm building a church and I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. He used the terms interchangeably. The kingdom and the church are the same thing. And so here it is. Jesus says, it's going to be built. I'm going to give you the keys of it. So we have Daniel the prophet saying it's going to be in the days of the Roman kings. John the Baptist says it is at hand. Jesus says, I haven't built it yet, but I'm going to. Then you can turn to Mark chapter 9 and verse 1 where Jesus says, you know, there are some standing here right now who will not die, who will not taste of death until they see the kingdom come with power. So again, now we're down to, it's in the lifetime of these people that, to whom Jesus was speaking. And he said, when this kingdom comes, it is going to come with power. We turn to Acts chapter 2 now. And we see the disciples gathered together. Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead, and it's 50 days later. And they're together in an upper room, and the Spirit descends upon them. And there is the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And the house is shaken where they are. And they begin to speak in tongues. Power that they had never experienced before. Power that was given to them from on high. And Peter, standing up with the eleven, preached on that day. And he unlocked or opened the door to the kingdom of God. And the Bible says that those who gladly received his word were baptized that day. And on that day, 3,000 souls were added to the church. So we see it all played out. I mean, it shouldn't surprise us, but it is an amazing thing, is it not? That God can know the future before it happens. He knows the end from the beginning. And, And we see it played out with reference to so many things, but in particular, we see it played out in reference to the church. God had a plan that involved the church. It was from before the foundation of the world. He told through his prophets it was coming. John the Baptist said, it's almost here. Jesus said, I'm going to build it. Jesus said, some of you standing here will not die until you see it. And we see on Acts, in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, the doors are open. People flow into it. And I think it's also interesting, if you'll note, in Isaiah chapter 2, there is a description of the kingdom given, how, what it's going to be like, what's going to happen when this, this kingdom is ushered in. And among other things that are said, it's going to take place in the last days. Well, Acts 2 speaks of those last days. Isaiah said that all nations will flow unto it. And what do you have on the day of Pentecost? People from all nations gather together in Jerusalem uh, for, uh, you know, the event that was taking place there. And they came and were baptized. They entered into the church. And they were to, according to Acts 2, that kingdom would go forth from Jerusalem. And that's exactly what happened. That's where they were. It's where it started. And from there it went out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. So the church is not an accident. It's not an afterthought. It's not a uh, filler for God to, at some later point, fulfill what he wanted to do to begin with, but got thwarted because of the um, sinfulness of man. 
The church is God's divine purpose. So here's my point that I guess I, I want to ask now is, but why? What's so special about the church? Why take such great pains for hundreds of years? Well, for thousands of years before the world was formed, why would God plan this institution? Well, the answer, I believe, is seen in the purpose of the church. I see that God planned it, but now let me tell you why. And that'll get us to the purpose. And the purpose of the church is, well, 1 Peter 1, or 1 Peter chapter 3, excuse me, and verse 15 is one passage. That passage tells me that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. There has to be someone, something, that is going to be the repository of truth on this earth. Who to whom will the world turn to find truth? Who will be those who uphold the truth of God and promote it and proclaim it and propagate it throughout the world? How is this going to be done? If we must come to know truth in order to be saved, who will be the bearer of that standard of truth? God needs a people, and that's the church. One of the reasons why God planned the church from the beginning is that he needed somebody to say, I will defend the truth. I'll uphold it. I won't let the truth fall to the streets. I won't let it be trodden under foot of man. I I will hold it. I will proclaim it. And I'll love it and support it and defend it. That's the purpose of the church. You know, like I said this morning, one of the things that is special about this congregation is that we hold up the truth. Um, what, what, I think it was 2,500. I don't have my notes from this morning, but I, I was trying to estimate how many lessons were taught here last year or taught by people in this congregation. 2,500 plus uh, lessons were presented by people, members of this congregation in the year 2011. That averages out to about seven sermons or lessons being presented every day of the year. That's a lot of people doing a lot of talking about the Word of God. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we need to do. If we won't do it, who will? That's why God needs a church. That's why the church is so important. And that's why we can't just diss the church or dismiss the church because the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. I don't hate religion and love Jesus. I can't love Jesus without loving religion. The church of Jesus Christ is that body of people who are supposed to emulate and show people what Jesus was about and who he was and what he lived like. Another thing that the church is to do, another purpose of the church, is that it is to bring glory to God. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 21, I believe that passage has the mission of the church in it. I I think the mission of the church is singular, to bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. I've heard people say the mission of the church is evangelism, edification, and benevolence. I, I really don't think that's correct. Those are works of the church, but I don't believe they're the mission of the church. Now, we need to evangelize. We need to be benevolent. 
We need to edify each other. But those aren't the mission of the church. Those aren't the end in and of themselves. The reason we do those things is to cause people to glorify God. That's the mission. You know why I evangelize? Because it brings glory to God. You know why I help people who are in need? It brings glory to God. Why I build one another up and we edify one another? Because it's glory to God. That's why I do those things. The purpose of the church is to bring glory to God. And folks, if your life is such that you can't bring glory to God because of your life, if people look at you and they can't praise God, then you're not doing what you need to be doing. You're not fulfilling the purpose of the church or your purpose as a member of that church. When people look at us and instead maybe even blaspheme God, you know what they do? Did you hear what he did? Why, last weekend, I heard he was over there and did this or that or she did this or that. If that's the way we live and cause that kind of talk about us, it's a reflection on God. In Romans chapter 2, there were people who blasphemed God because of those who were children of God wouldn't fulfill their purpose as children of God. So there are two purposes, at least two so far. We're to be the pillar and ground of the truth. And secondly, we're to glorify God. And then third, the church is to comfort and edify one another. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11, the Bible says explicitly that. You're to comfort and edify one another. And he said, and I know you're doing that. And I can say the same thing here. That's what we're to do, and I also know that's what we do here as Christians. We need well, we all need help. There are times in your life when you may feel stronger and, and you're kind of up on the mountaintop, you know, and you're just standing there like Rocky, you know, on the steps in Philadelphia and just champion, feel the best. But there are other times when life is hard and, and you get down and discouraged and, and you, you almost sometimes feel defeated. Well, I'm glad we have a church in times like that. I'm glad there are people who love me and care for me and help to pick me up. And, and they, I'm not alone. I have a family. You have a family. I love to be able to know that at any time that I could call someone and, and ask them for help and know that I can have it. Do you know how many people in the world today really don't know where they will turn for help from one, one day to the next? I mean, there are situations that face them that are, well, huge issues, and they literally do not have anyone that they can turn to for help, and and they're distraught. I don't feel like there's a situation, a problem that can come to my life that I can't turn to somebody and say, I need help, because I have a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what the church is to be. Life is hard. There's a lot of things. We live in a fallen world. And because of that, there are a lot of things that are less than God's ideal. And we have to muddle our way through a lot of that stuff. I'm thankful for the family of God. Let's be a church and let's edify and build up one another. That, that's our purpose. I've said this before, but, you know, in Hebrews chapter 10... In verse 25, it's the passage that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as some were doing. 
But in verse 24, we read the purpose. It's not an arbitrary commandment. Just I want to see how many people I can get up on Sunday morning to come to a building. The purpose of the command is given in verse 24, that we provoke one another to love and to good works. And the word provoke, you know, we've been talking about word studies. Um, the word provoke means to stir. You know, kind of, if you can kind of imagine a, a witch's cauldron, um, and here's this witch, you know, with this big old stick, and, and she's stirring this brew. That's what it means. Literally, we are to stir one another up. And I've said this, but, I, you know, if you have a sibling or if you have children, plural, you know what it means to provoke because they do it all the time. I used to provoke my sister. She still provokes me. Uh, you know, there's, I hope nobody sends her this tape, but, uh, I can take pot shots at her. But, uh, there are things that, you know, as kids, we know what it means to provoke somebody. And, and, you know, you put your, he's touching me. No, no, I'm not. My finger is this far from her shoulder. I won't take it away. I just keep it there. And you do things to provoke one another, aggravate each other, stir them to get them mad. That's exactly what the Bible says we're to do but not to anger. We're to provoke one another to love and to good works. And let me tell you something. In order to provoke one another to love and good works, I know there's a sense in which when you come in the building, you encourage me. And you don't have to say anything to me. When I see people here, that's an encouragement to me, and I go home, and and that makes me happy. So there is a sense in which the command is fulfilled in that, but can we not go much farther than that? What if I come in and I sit down, I speak to no one. As soon as the last amen said, I'm up and out the door and I haven't said a word to anybody. All I've done is come to a building. Have I really engaged in the spirit of that passage? Have I provoked my brethren to love and good works? Speak to each other. Encourage each other. The words you say to somebody may be what helps them get through and not despair. That's what church is for. That's the purpose. That's why God planned all this from before the world began. He knew life's going to be tough in a fallen world. There are going to be things that happen that are going to knock you off your feet. And when that happens, you need help, strength. We're going with this church idea. And that's what what he did. And then the last thing that I want to just bring up is the blessing and the truth that the church is the body of saved. You will search in vain in Scripture for those in the New Covenant or during the New Covenant who are saved outside of the church. The church is the body of saved. There are no saved and then there are members of the church. You see, that's the thing about these people who say, well, I don't want religion. I want Jesus. I don't want the church. I want a relationship with Jesus. Well, that relationship to Jesus in the new covenant is expressed in the church. You can't do it apart from the church. We, we can't snub our nose at everything that God planned from before he created the world and say, I don't need all that. I don't want all that. I just want Jesus. I just want the salvation that he offers. It doesn't work that way. We can't so soon just dismiss what God had spent in eternity planning. Church has significance because it is the body of saved people. 
And there's no promise anywhere else outside of the church where one might find salvation. If you were living in Egypt during the days of the Egyptian or the Israelite slavery, if the blood wasn't on your doorpost, you had trouble. There was only salvation in the house where the blood was applied. And if you're outside the ark in the days of Noah, you were in trouble because that's where salvation resided in the ark. And if you're outside the body of Christ today, then you're in trouble because that's the body of people that God says he'll save. And so as I come to a an end in this lesson. I want you to see two things, and that was the purpose of the lesson. I want you to see that God had a purpose in the church. We don't take Jesus and hate the church. We don't take Jesus and hate religion. We should hate false religion. We should hate things that claim to be the religion of Jesus, and they aren't. But pure religion... We need to defend and uphold. And I don't want to be found as one who ever would speak a hurtful word, a harmful word against the church of my Lord. Let us work together to be people who promote, who uphold the truth, and who support the church. I don't ever want to be opposed against I've heard people, and they have maybe made a name for themselves by their critical exposition of of the church. They go around the country and around our brotherhood and they talk about all the things that are wrong with the church and they get quite a hearing and following and sometimes they they do it in a very lighthearted way that uh, I think borders on blasphemy. I don't ever want to be in that camp. The church of Jesus Christ, well, listen, If it was important enough for God to plan it from eternity and for Jesus to shed his blood for it, Acts 20 and verse 28, how dare I say or think anything against that body of of people? I want us to love and defend the church, to uphold it, to fulfill its purpose, because it's a divine purpose. And if you're here tonight and you're not yet a member of the church, I want you to see it from God's perspective. It's not something you can or can't do without. It's not a choice. God says, if you want to be my child, I want you in here. I want you in this body so that you can fulfill my purpose. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, if you're not a member of the church, we'll assist you in your obedience tonight. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, and maybe you haven't held the church up, to its place of honor, change the way you think about that. And if there are things in your life that uh, are tough and weighing you down, listen, the purpose of this church is to comfort and edify each other. Let us know what your burdens are and we'll pray with you. And you'll be strengthened by the prayers and by the knowledge that you have a family, a divine family, a family thought of in the mind of God to help you, help you for just such occasions. If you need to come, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.